0: amen they're excited they're excited can't you tell <coughs> that's good all right if you got your bible we're going back to first john chapter four <coughs> if you've uh well let's pray first we'll pray and we'll ask god to bless our time together ask him to bless our reading of his word i'll make sure that i stay on time today father we love you we come before you today god just thanking you for your presence thanking you for your mercy and all that you've given lord we uh we can look back and see the the blessings that you've uh, you've walked with us and you've uh, moved among us god you've uh, you've done so much in our lives we can just sit back and count just over the last week lord how you've uh lightened our path and you've been with us god that you've protected us and guided us we just ask lord today that you would uh spend today lord just uh uh, letting your presence fall upon us in such a way that to, as your word is read and and preached today as we get to sing worship to you as we get to lift our hearts and hearts and minds to you today uh in all three services today father that you would uh, that you would bless us just by being here that you would bless us by changing our hearts that you would speak to us through your word and that you would uh, give us that uh that peace that passes understanding, helping us to know, Lord, that you uh, promised to never leave or forsake your children and that you would uh, be with us wherever we gather. We thank you for that. We love you and we th- we thank you for all that you are in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Last time we were here, we've been in <clears throat> First John. I hope you've been walking with us because I I don't want to build the same foundation every single time I hope that you most of y'all have so uh we're good I'm going to continue on with what John is saying in verse in chapter 4 we're going to start in verse 13 and uh last time we were here we made a big deal about reality we made a big deal about what's real and doesn't matter what you claim and we've seen that through the whole book John has said you know if you say you in the in the light and you walk in darkness you liar and We've seen that throughout the whole thing and last time I started out by telling you about me being a vegetarian but I was going to be a vegetarian that ate meat and you know of course I've had all all kind of jokes all week long about me being a vegetarian but <clears throat> we saw that it wasn't it didn't matter if I claimed to be a vegetarian if I eat meat I'm not a vegetarian and we're going to see the same thing today but today, John is going to... We're going to start winding down. There's only one more chapter left in First John. And he's going to start winding this letter down. And remember, the reason why he wrote this letter... Was so that the believers would have assurance that they they know that they know that they are in Christ. It doesn't matter what happens. Doesn't matter what they go through. Doesn't matter if they suffer persecutions. Doesn't matter if all the the most knowledgeable, super spiritual, false teachers walk in and tell them they're missing something. It doesn't matter what goes on or what happens. They need to know by God's word and by the evidence that they see that they have assurance that they are in Christ. And so he's going to start uh, hitting that point home as. He closes out the letter in chapter five, and so if you've been, if you 've been here for these uh in first john you, you probably if you 're honest if you 're honest like me, uh, you have probably seen a lot of tough things a lot of tough uh, a lot of tough sayings a lot of a lot of things that make you examine yourself that 's the point of of why he 's writing a lot of things that will make you question and it 's a good thing to to, uh, to question yourself, am I, am I who I say I am? That's a good thing. Examine yourself whether you be of the faith or not. Uh, so today we're going to see the other side of what it really means to be a Christian. Up until now, <clears throat> we've, we've seen it before, but up until now we've talked about uh, how we, we talked about the three tests that John has given. He's given the test of doctrine, whether you believe the truth about God's word, about who God says he is, about who Christ is. Whether you uh, live uh, after his law, if you live after uh, obedience to him, then that's evidence that the spirits at work in your heart. And if you love the brethren, that's evidence the spirits work in your heart. And so today what he's going to do as we look at uh, starting verse 13, he's going to show us the other side. He's going to show us the reality is that our salvation as well is based in fact. It's based in fact in the assurance that we have in our salvation is also based in fact. It's not based in how we feel. It's all nasty outside and rainy and dreary morning. It's not based on how my sinuses act when I wake up and I got a headache and I don't feel good and my back hurts. It's not based in whether I'm, uh, whether I'm upset this morning, or if something bad has happened, or if I've just been through the worst tragedy in my life. It's not based in any of those things. It's based in the fact that God has said uh, what he will do in his word. He's told us that if we would trust in him, if that we would repent of our sin, and we would give our lives to him, that he would save us, and he would see us as righteous and holy, no matter how what we feel, no matter how what we think, no matter how we go through tough times in this life, no matter who comes in the back door and tries to tell me different, no matter what happens, I know that I have the assurance that Christ has told me I'm one of his. And that's what we're going to see today. So let me just read to you. I want to just read the first three or four verses and then we'll stop. I'm going to try to get done with this chapter today, but we'll see. we'll see how far we get. It says, Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us, because he hath given us of his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him and he in God. And verse 16 says, And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. Now, I don't know if you noticed that, but in those three verses, there was a phrase that was repeated over and over again. It was repeated three times in three verses. God in him and and us in him. God God in us and us in him. That's it. That's it. God in us and us in him. Hereby we know that we dwell in him and he in us. And then verse 15 at the end, God dwelleth in him and he in God. And verse 16 at the end, in love dwelleth in God and God in him. Tw- three times he tells us two different things. And that's basically the, basically the, uh, the, the pattern of what we need to know. God dwelling in us and us dwelling in God. What he's showing us there is the same thing that he showed us throughout the letter. There's two principal facts that you need to know. Two things that you have to understand if you are a believer. Number one is that you have a position, God, uh, us dwelling in God, us dwelling in him, us dwelling in Christ. What does that mean? That means when God looks at me, you've heard me say it before, you've heard Brother Eddie and Brother John say it before, and it's the truth, and that's what John has said over and over again. If I dwell in Christ, then that's how the Father sees me, is in Christ. Over and over again in the New Testament, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. I am seen with Him. I'm seated with heavenly places in Christ. I've been given all spiritual blessings. Uh, in Christ, I have all, all the promises of God. Are yea and amen? In Christ, I have been. I rule and reign with Christ. If we if we died with Him, we're going to live with Him. If you if you are one of Christ, you're being conformed to the image of Christ. And so, what we see is that to say that I dwell in Christ is to say that when the Father looks at me at the judgment, when He looks at me even now, He sees. The perfect righteousness, the perfect life of Jesus. And he accounts that life to me. He takes Jesus' life, if, if all the events, all the thoughts, all the practices, all the things that Jesus did in his entire life were written down in a book, and that was the record of Christ, he replaced my book, which is filled with sins, filled with all the things I've done wrong, filled with all the things that I am. He's replaced that book with Christ's book. And when he opens the book that says Jason Vallada on the front of it, what he sees is the righteous life of Christ. What he sees is all the perfection that Jesus was as he dwelt among us. And then he sees the death and the burial and the resurrection as accounting for all the sin that I've done in my life, all the sin that I'll ever do. I dwell in Christ. If you are a believer, doesn't matter who you are, you dwell in Christ. But that's not the only thing. There's another side of the coin. The other side of the coin is that God dwells in us. We know for a fact, I know me and I know you know you, but We know that we're not perfect. We know that we still sin. We still struggle. He's given us his spirit. And by that spirit, we make war against the flesh that it it, it battles each other. They battle each other every single day. And we know that I fall short of the glory of God. We know that you do as well. We know that I don't love God the way that he commands us to be loved. That I don't worship him as he is worthy to be worshipped. And we can give a, a whole litany, a whole list of things that I'm not doing that I'm supposed to be doing. We give, give a whole list of things of why I'm not worthy. Why I'm not, uh, I'm not able to come into his presence. But there is a spirit that lives inside of me. God himself dwells in me. If you're a believer, he dwells in you. And that spirit is conforming you daily to the image of Christ. So there's two sides to the same coin. Number one, you and I dwell in Christ. If we're believers, we dwell in him. That's how the father sees us, the perfection of him. We don't need anything else. There's no higher rung to the ladder to reach than perfection. It's been done. It's over 2000 years ago when he said it is finished. He meant it is absolutely finished. It's a done deal. But on the other side of that coin is the fact that God now lives in us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit and we are being daily conformed to the image of what we've been made in the father's eyes. We have been made perfect, but in our daily lives, I'm not perfect yet, but I am being perfected. I am being perfected. You know, we've seen those. T-shirts that say not perfect, but forgiven. And that's, that's true. That's a statement of fact that you are not perfect, but you are forgiven. But I'd like to see one once in a while. I think I might even make one. It says not perfect, but being perfected, being perfected, being changed. He's still working on you. He's still working on me. If you are, that's what he says three times in this section, verses 13 through 16. He said, this is how you know that we are in God and God is in us. Both sides of the coin are important. Both sides of that coin are important are evidence that God has been born in us. And that's why John has taken so much time in this letter telling us, if you say that you walk in the light and you're in darkness, you're a liar. Why? Because the Spirit lives in you. God is dwelling in you. And it's impossible for the believer to spend a lifetime walking in darkness without God's chastisement or discipline, without God uh, uh, ministering to their heart, without God coming and changing them, bringing the conviction of the holy spirit it's impossible and so that's why we've seen these tests and i hope that you've been here to to understand that when we talk about examining ourselves, we're talking about looking for the evidence that god is doing what he promised to do in you we're not talking about how good you're doing because we're all going to fail if we put the level up there and say you got to do this good to be a christian we're all going to drop we're all going to fail we're all going to make an F. What we're asking here, what John has been saying over and over again is, do you see the fruit of the spirit in your life? He's not asking how much do you see? Because you're going to grow in that fruit for the rest of your life. He's saying, is it there? So he says those two things. We know that we are in him and he is in us. He is in us. You have been sealed by the spirit of God to the day of redemption. You have you are reigning with him. You are seated in heavenly places with him. I always like to use the analogy of there's a psalm. I can't remember off the top of my head what psalm it is, but it says, Lift up your head, O gates. Uh, the, the king is coming in and it's, it's about Jesus coming back to the throne room of God and understand that I always use this is that when Jesus came and he died he rose from the dead he, he ascended back to heaven I just get this picture and it, all this is just in my brain but I get this picture of Jesus walking back the son of God walking back into the throne room of God where he had left to come and live on earth and die for us and, and be raised from the dead as he is walking back you know you could probably to get a good picture of the angels and the, the hallelujah chorus and all that going on, how the father looked at his son when he is glorified as both God and man, returning to the throne room of heaven, how he looked at his son. And you can imagine what he felt, that, that my son has done what I am what I have sent him to do. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. The same way that the father looked at his son as he strolled back into the throne room, uh, absolutely victorious and glorious and powerful is the way that he sees the believers who are in Christ, those who are in his son. He can look at you and he can look at me if we are in Christ and he could say, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Not because I'm so pleasing, but because of what Jesus did, because of what he did. So there's two, two things that you need to make sure you understand. Number one, we are in Christ. The father looks at me and he sees perfection, even though I'm certainly not perfect. And the second thing is that Christ is in us and that he is molding us and making us and moving us and and conforming us to the image of his son. And so what we see here is there's two ways that we know, two ways that he gives us here in these verses, that we know that we are in Christ and Christ is in us, that we are in God and God is in us. The two ways are, number one, I've already told you one, he's given us his spirit. That's what it says in verse 13. It says, hereby know we that we dwell in him. This is how we know that we dwell in him. This is how we know that the father looks down upon us and he sees the perfection of Christ because he has given us of his spirit. He's given us, Paul calls it a down payment, the earnest, the earnest of the promised possession. He's given us himself. And if the spirit dwells in you, you know what's going on daily, you're warring. Daily, you are, you are going to battle with sin and temptation and the flesh. Daily, it's a struggle. Daily, it's a fight. It's a boxing match, Paul calls it. It's a race. It's a a competition. It's a a war that's going on inside of you. The Spirit of God saying, these are my commands. This is my my, uh, will for you. This is what I want for you. The Spirit is leading you. He's guiding you. All those who are led by the Spirit, those are the sons of God. He is is ministering to you, telling you what you need to do, uh, pushing you to service, pushing you to be conformed to the image of God. He is molding you and making you. And the whole time your flesh is saying, that's not what I want to do. And the world is coming from the outsizing. That's not what you're supposed to do. And it's a battle going on. And a lot of times we we get to thinking that you know, unless I do this well in this battle, then there's something wrong with me. If I'm not doing good enough, then God must not love me. That God must be uh, must have uh, separated himself from me. And the reality of what we're seeing here, it says the evidence that you know that you dwell in him is that you have the spirit of God inside of you that is making war against the flesh. So really, if you think about it, the battle that you're that you're experiencing when you battle sin, when you battle the world, when you battle flesh and the devil, when you battle those things and the struggle itself is evidence that you dwell in him. Do you see it? The struggle itself. I'm not talking about how good you're doing. We're not talking about how well you're making it. The struggle itself, the fight against sin, the fight against the flesh, the fight against the world, that in itself demonstrates that the Spirit is living inside of you. Now, is it possible to fake it for a little while? Yes. It's possible to come on in the back door and hallelujah and everything's good and praise God we're part of the church now and then a couple of months go out. It's possible to do that. But I'm telling you that it is impossible to live this life of battling sin for the rest of your life without the Spirit of God working and moving in you. You can fake it for a little while. You can do better. I can do all kinds of things. All kinds of people can do all kinds of things. But to live this life, this is who I am for the rest of my days on this earth. Understand you have, that's evidence of the spirit of God living in you. All those who endure to the end will be saved. That's what that means. It means that if the spirit lives inside of you, you're going to battle this the rest of your life. Are there going to be times where you win and you feel victorious? Yes. Are there going to be times when you do something stupid and you feel defeated? Yes. But the battle going to continue forever. He says, we know that we dwell in him because he's given us his spirit. That battle, that war is evidence. It's evidence that you have received the down payment, the earnest of the promised possession. You have an inheritance that's incorruptible, that's undefiled, that can't fade away. It's reserved for you in the heavens. If you have his spirit, if his spirit has been placed in you, if his spirit lives in you, if you're a temple of his spirit, you have the promised possession. It's waiting on you. Perfection. Absolute. I'm talking about walking in perfection. You already have perfection in Christ in the father's eyes, but I'm talking about walking where I live without sin. That's waiting on me when I'm glorified. When we have a new heaven, a new earth, a new body, live forever. It says, we know, hereby we know that we dwell in him. It's two things. Number one, that he's given us his spirit. Number two is the next verse, verse 14. The second one is that we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son, Savior of the world. We trust in Christ. We are trusting our life in Christ. We have seen, that means we know it, and we are testifying. That's an ongoing lifestyle. Our life testifies. We do testify. We are testifying that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Did you, notice, did you notice the three members of the Godhead there? The three persons of the Trinity? He's given us His Spirit and we testify that the Father sent the Son. I'd love to do a whole thing on the Trinity for you, but it's just interesting to me. Understand what He's saying. The testimony that you give is that the Father sent the Son... To be the savior of the world. There's not another, not a savior of the world, but the savior of the world. Basically what he's saying. And then he continues in verse 15. It says, whosoever shall confess Jesus, the son of God, God dwells in him. And he, in God, he is the savior. There's not another. What he's saying here is you've put all your hope, all your trust, all your, all your, your whole life is wrapped up in who Jesus is. When you get to glory, if Jesus is not enough, I'm not going to make it. It's as simple as that. That's that's the determination that you and I have made if we've trusted in Christ. He's all I got. I don't have anything to present as evidence. I'm not good enough. I don't have any work that I can offer. When you've heard people say, well, when you stand before God, why should I let you into heaven? When you stand before that trial, if it is a trial or whatever, and say, is there evidence that you want to present? I don't have any. I don't have any evidence that I'm good enough. I don't have any evidence that I deserve to be in your presence. I don't have any evidence at all that that I love you or that that I've done anything worthy in your sight. The only thing I have is Jesus Christ and him crucified and him raised from the dead. That's the only evidence I have. That's the only thing that I'm counting on. That's the only thing that I've bet my life on. If any of y'all are betting, folks, I've pushed all my chips in the middle on jesus christ i put all my stuff on him and uh the the thought comes the truth is if he's not good enough and he most certainly is good enough but let's just say if he's not good enough then i'm not gonna make it because i have put all my eggs in that one basket i don't have nothing else to offer it says we have seen and we do testify that god has sent his son as the savior of the world there is no other and when folks remember the context of First John, when folks walk in the back door of the church and they say, "You know, we're the super spiritual apostles." We're the super spiritual teachers that have the truth and you guys are doing good, but you need to reach that higher level and we've got that and we'll teach it to you and you can just come follow us. When that goes on, we understand We understand that there is nothing higher that we can receive. He is the savior of the world and we, put all, we, don't, have any, we don't have any more chips to give anything else because we put them all in with Jesus Christ and him crucified. We put them all in on his perfection. And so I don't have anything else to, I don't have anything else to give you. I don't have anything else to, to base my hope and my trust in. It says, we've seen and we do testify the father sent his son to be the savior of the world. And that next verse says... Everyone, whosoever shall confess that Jesus, son of God, God dwells in him and he in God. When those guys walk into the first century church and, and that's who John's writing against. And they say, you know what? We've got the higher stuff. John's saying, no, no, no. You don't have to be super spiritual, super knowledgeable. You don't have to be the 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 cream of the crop of the, the theology guys. It says anyone, everyone who confesses that Jesus is the Son of God. This is not just in word, because we know there's going to be many who say, Lord, Lord, but it's a life that confesses that Jesus is the Son of God. The life that confesses that Jesus is our only hope, that he is the divine Messiah that was was crucified and killed for us, that he was raised from the dead, and that he has won the victory over death, hell, and the grave. It says anyone, everyone, whosoever will confess that Jesus is the Son of God whosoever's life confesses that jesus is the son of god god dwells in him and he dwells in god you have both sides of the coin it doesn't you don't have you don't have to be there's there's lots of things we're going to learn lots of lots of things we're going to grow in lots of things we we don't understand now that we're going to we're going to understand later lots of things that are going on that we do But we understand that as far as our assurance, as far as our salvation, as far as who we are in Christ and who Christ is in us, it's a done deal. We know that because number one, he's given us of his spirit. And number two, we bear the testimony that our life has been put all in with Christ. He paid it all, and we're not trusting in anything else. We're not waiting for anything else. We're not hoping for anything else. We have everything there is to have when it comes to to a relationship with God. We have everything. There's nothing lacking. There's nothing missing. There's nothing waiting for us around the corner. We have everything in Christ. And that's a far cry from a lot of the things that were getting said back in John's day. It's a far cry from a lot of things that are getting said nowadays. If you hear, I talked to a person just this week or last week that was saying, you know, uh, that Christ church here is is kind of uh, it's kind of different because it seems like we're always preaching about the gospel, always focusing on the gospel. I mean, everything is gospel based in this guy's mind, but but, you know, you really ought to be teaching people how to live a little bit, too, shouldn't you? And my response was, oh, I am. They're supposed to live in the gospel. They're supposed to live through the gospel. Everything that they do, everything that they say, everything that they are should be informed by the death, the burial and the resurrection. And anything else, I think, is an abrogation of what we're supposed to be doing in preaching the whole counsel of God. And so we see that. These two things, it says, look, whoever you are, whoever you are, wherever you are, you know that Christ is in you and you are in him. You know that you have assurance of salvation. If these two things are true, if God has given you of his spirit, if you are walking in the spirit, if the spirit is moving you, if it's if it's bearing fruit in you, you know that it's a fact. And the second thing is that if your life is is bound up in who Jesus is, and you 've put all of your hope all of your all of your uh, your expectations, all of your goodness is wrapped up in him and he 's the only evidence that you have when you stand before the Father. He is the only thing that 's going to make me able to get in he 's the only thing that 's worthy this week, we heard someone that uh, that spoke about being unworthy and how they had to do exercises to Convince themselves that they were worthy and they needed to understand I am worthy. I'm good. I'm a worthy person. And they had to kind of con- the reason you have to convince yourself is because you're not worthy. And if you don't live in the gospel, if you don't trust in the gospel, if you don't walk in the gospel, being unworthy is going to make you despair for the rest of your life. And you're going to go through all the steps. You're going to jump through all the hoops trying to let the world and the worldly things make let to convince you that you're worthy. And you're going to go through all this stuff when the reality is you are not worthy. You're not worthy at all. And I'm not either. But in Christ, we're perfect. And if you refuse to accept who you are in Christ. You're going to be that, that what do you call them? The gerbil on that little wheel. The rest of your life, they're going to be, it's like hanging a carrot. I, when, I, when I heard all that, I thought about a stick with a carrot hanging in front of it. And you're just always chasing the carrot, but never able to get it. Always chasing after it. It's just right there. Why can't I grab it? It's just right there. And you spend your whole life running after that carrot and you're never able to get it. When the reality is you and I aren't worthy. We aren't worthy of anything, but Christ has made us perfect because He is worthy. And if I am in Him, if I am identified with Him, if I am united with Him, then God the Father sees me as worthy, not because I'm so good and I'm worthy and I'm, I'm valuable, but because His Son is worthy and I am in His Son and His Son is in me. The Spirit of God is in me. Does that make sense? Y'all with me? Okay, so He says, <clears throat> Two things given us of His Spirit, and we have the trust, the testimony that Jesus is the Son of God, sent as the Savior of the world. Whosoever, whosoever would trust, would understands these things understands that we are righteous in God. These are facts. They're facts. They can't be changed by how I feel. They can't be changed by the things that happen. They can't be changed by the circumstances I go through or hard times or tragedy or loss or anything like that. They can't be changed. They're facts. Just like I told you last time and John has told us over and over in this book that if you say one thing and your life portrays another, the reality is that you are not who you say you are. The same thing is on the other side of the coin. If Christ is in me, it doesn't matter what I say, what I think, what comes against me, what circumstances I go through. My salvation and my assurance is based in fact. Jesus died for my sins. I trust in him and him alone. He has given me of his spirit. Therefore, I am righteous in christ and i am loved by the father no matter what you think no matter what you feel no matter what happens no matter what suffering you go through put yourself for just a second in the in the mind of one of these first century christians who was in the church and these men were coming in and they were saying you know y'all don't have everything that you think you have and we got the extra and y'all are doing pretty good but you just need to come with us think about what it must have been like because these people were going through persecution on a level that we don't even understand they were going through suffering, poverty, all kinds of things were being done to the first century church to uh, to marginalize them and to make them suffer, to make them deny who they were. And all of a sudden, these men walk in and they say, you know what? The reason why you're going through what you're going through is because you hadn't reached the right level with God. If you'll just come and listen to our teaching, if you'll just come and follow us, you'll get to that higher level and you'll be able to, to break out of all of this sorrow that you got in your life. That sounds pretty good for a person who's suffering, doesn't it? It sounds like it would be pretty enticing for somebody who's being persecuted and hauled off to jail and having their heads cut off and all these kind of things. It seems like, hey, maybe he's right. Maybe we're missing something. But the reality of what John is telling them here is that, no, you're not missing something. Think about it in your own life. What, ha- what about, I know you're saying that salvation is based in fact and I don't have to worry, but what about when I don't feel like a child of God? What about when I do something wrong? What about when I mess up? What about those times when I just feel like there's no way God can look at me and see me as as loved and perfect? I mean, I've just done too much bad. What about those times when circumstances just... Aren't going the way that I think they should when when I go through tragedy when I go through suffering When things in this world happen and it just seems like my prayers aren't getting through the ceiling and i'm asking god for this But I haven't received an answer yet. And I I, i'm still waiting What about those times when when I just don't feel like a child of god? He lets us know that it's not based in your feelings. Look what he says in in verse uh, verse 16 He says it's not on this page. It says, and we have known and believed the love that God has to us. We have known. Now, it's all connected. So he's saying, let me, let me read the first, back, go back to 14. Says, and we have seen to testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus, the Son of God, God dwelleth him, in him, and he in God, and we have known and believed the love that God has to us. God is love, he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. You see what he's saying? Because we know that we have the Spirit. Because we know that we have trusted in Christ and that we have that testimony and our life is bound up with him. There is no if, ands, or but. We have known perfect tense and we have believed perfect tense that the God has put his love upon us. The love that God hath to us. The love that God has bestowed upon us. This is the same love, the saving love that he loves his own son with. We don't worry about, you know, when tragedy strikes and I think... God, why aren't you listening to me? Why aren't you? Why why haven't you moved? Why didn't you stop this? We don't worry about those things being uh, an impediment between our relationship with God because we have been given his spirit and we have a testimony that Jesus Christ is the son of God, savior of the world. So we know for a fact, he says, you can know for sure. You can trust for sure that God has placed his love upon you. You can know that God loves you when 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 you now God loves the world, but we're talking about his children here. He loves you with the love that he loves his own son, even when everything seems to be going wrong. Even when you're suffering and and people would come in and try to tell you, you know what? This is you you can fix this if you'll just do this, this and this. If you'll just come past that, that uh, the doctrine of the gospel and those baby steps that you're living in, if you'll just walk a little further with me and listen to my teaching and my principles, listen to how you can go deeper with God. You understand those things. You know, you can fix all this stuff. John's saying, no, he's saying we know. That God has placed his love upon us. He's talking about that same love that he has for his son. He, we know that he's placed his love upon us because he's given us of his spirit. And we have the testimony of Christ. We have trusted completely in him. We don't have anything else to give. We don't have anything else that we're putting our hope in. And then look at the effects. I'm going try to hurry. Verse 17. Herein is our love made perfect. That we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. That is amazing to me. It's amazing to me. The, The one of the effects that we have is let me just read 17 and 18. We'll talk about it all at one time. Herein is our love made perfect that we have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. There we have boldness. We know, listen, remember when I I stood up here last week and I said, you know what? I I had a lot of y'all going thinking I was fixing to be a vegetarian. I know I had Ms. Lou going. She was excited. I had a lot of y'all going that I was going to be a vegetarian. And then I started saying, well, I'm going to eat chicken and I'm going to eat pork and I'm going to eat, but I'm still a vegetarian. We all had a chuckle and we thought that don't even make sense. That's just the dumbest thing I've ever heard. What what John's saying right here, what he's saying right here is that we have because we have trusted. If you've trusted in Christ and he's all that you have, all that you want sufficient to pay for all your sin. There's no fear of judgment any longer. There's no fear of dying and standing before God. There's no fear of standing before him. Questions like, questions like, uh, have I done good enough? They don't even enter the picture because you're not basing anything on whether you've done good enough. You're trusting in Christ. Uh, Questions like, you know, is he enough? Is Jesus enough? That doesn't even enter the picture because you've put all your hope in Christ. You've trusted that he's enough. So what he's saying here is to be afraid, to have fear of this judgment. It doesn't even make sense. If you've trusted in Christ, there is no fear because you've trusted in Christ. Now, if you are saying, have I done good enough? Have, have I, am I, am, I, am, I, am I acting good enough? Am I being good enough? That's, that's, that's a problem. That may be a symptom that you haven't trusted in Christ. Because if you've trusted in Christ and you put everything in that one basket and you're saying he is sufficient. He's all I need. He's everything that I have. And you have boldness to stand at the judgment because I don't need anything else. I've got everything that I need. I don't have to have anything on my account. I don't have to do good. I don't have to be good. I don't have to love God at a certain standard. Jesus has done everything and he is working in me to make me who he wants me to be in this world. So it's all his responsibility. Think about that for a moment. He is the one that lives inside of me. The spirit himself is the one that lives inside of me. And it's his responsibility to make me who he wants me to be. It's his. He says, I will complete the work that I start. Philippians 1 6. I will not leave it undone. I will do it. And so to have we have boldness the effect of trusting in Christ, the effect of understanding that he has given me everything is I have boldness. I have boldness when I stand before him in the judgment. I have boldness even now when I go through suffering. I have boldness when bad things happen, when I don't feel like a child of God, when I don't feel like I've done good enough, when I don't feel right. I have boldness knowing that God has set his love upon me because of his only son, Jesus Christ. And so there's no fear in love. It doesn't even make sense. Now, I know we don't see that on the same level, but I'm telling you, it's the exact same thing as saying I'm a vegetarian that loves pork and beef and and all those things. I mean, that just sounds stupid to us. It should sound stupid to us to say, I'm afraid that God doesn't love me. If you have trusted in Christ, it should sound just as stupid as saying I'm a vegetarian that loves beef. Because the two things don't go together. They're mutually exclusive. They don't even make sense together. If you've trusted in Christ, then you've trusted in Christ. There is no fear. There's no more fear of judgment. There's no more fear of punishment. There's no more fear of condemnation. Why? Because you've trusted in Christ. If you have fear of condemnation because I haven't done good enough, I'm not good enough, everything's not working the way I want, then you need to ask yourself, have I truly trusted in Christ? Because if you've trusted in him, that's the only thing that matters. That's the only thing that you have. It's the only thing that you're putting your hope in. It's the only thing that you're putting your faith in. Everything else is secondary. So he says the effects, he says, and I'm talking about, you know that you're not perfect. I know that I'm not perfect. But those thoughts of standing before him in judgment going, oh, no, I'm not perfect. That's like saying I'm a vegetarian that loves to eat beef. It doesn't make any sense. My standing is not whether I'm perfect. It's whether Jesus Christ has died for my sins. And whether Jesus Christ has placed upon me his righteousness. Whether the spirit of God lives in me. Whether I have been saved. Whether I've been born again. That's the standard. So finally as we let me just read the last couple and we'll go oh no i want to say this one thing do i have time i got a little bit of time look at that phrase it this this is the phrase that stuck out to me this week it says here in verse 17 Herein is our love made perfect that we have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is right now where is jesus what is jesus what is he doing he's seated at the right hand of the father perfection, glorified, reigning. When he ascended into heaven, he said, all power and authority is given to me. Heaven and earth. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He's been glorified. He's reigning and ruling. All power is given to him. He is loved by the Father in a way that you and I can't even comprehend love. But it says, at at, at this time that John wrote, Jesus had already ascended. He said, as he is right now, so are we in this world. Now, we're not perfect. You got it. We're still in the world. But when the father looks at us, he says, that's my son right there. That's my daughter right there. As because of what he did for us, because of who he is and we're united with him, identified with him. It said, as he is right now, so are we not because we're so good but because he has united himself with us and we are found in Christ. The father sees us in Christ as he is. So are we in this world? He says, herein is our love made perfect. We have boldness in the day of judgment. Why do we have boldness in the day of judgment? Because as he is, so are we in this world. When we stand, I mean, imagine this, can you imagine? It may not be this way. I'm kind of just, I'm kind of adding my own little commentary here. But can you imagine when I pass away or when you pass away as believers in Christ, perfect in his sight. I'm going to stroll up through the courtroom of glory, the whatever it looks like. And get the same reception that the son of God got when he returned. I might be stretching a little there, but you understand He sees me, he sees you in Christ, he sees you the same as he sees his own son. His account is on my account. His life, death, resurrection is on my account. The wages of my sin is death. But that death has already been paid for. It's already been done. That payment has been made and there's nothing else that's owed because of what he did. The wages of my sin is death and Jesus paid the payment. He gave the wages that were necessary for me to walk away forgiven, innocent, declared not guilty as we are as he is. So we are in this world. Let me finish. Says we love him. There is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. We've already talked about that. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. Need to ask yourself questions. And then this phrase, short little verse, we love him because he first loved us. Now, that's pretty simple. It's easy to understand. But think about the ramifications of what that do you love him. I mean, do you really love him? I'm not talking about do you love him good enough? That's not the question. Do you love him? I mean, it's a simple, you look at your own heart. Do you love him? Do you, does your heart desire him? I mean, do you desire long after, want to be with him, grow with him, be in relationship with, relationship with him, talk to him, communicate with him? I mean, lots of, lots of people say that I love, I mean, just think about whoever you love on this planet. I mean, if you love your wife, your mother, your sister, brother, daughter and you never communicated with them, I mean, you have to ask yourself a question. Just examine your heart. Do you love him? If you love him, only you know, but if you love him, what does that mean? That means he first loved you. Notice the past tense. Remember we talked about that last week? Past tense, loved. If, you, if we love him, are loving him right now, it's because he first loved, he's, talk, he's talking about giving his son. He's talking about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of his son. We saw that last week. You can go back in chapter 4 and you see where, where we talked about that. But he says, if you love him, listen, the world does not love God. People can come in the back door and they can sit around for a few months saying, Hallelujah, and we love God. But it'll always be manifest that they don't love God when they leave. It'll always be manifest that they don't love God when they go back to the same old things that they were doing. The same old loves that they had before they came into the church. But if you spend your life loving and chasing after God, that's evidence that God has loved you in such a way that that his spirit dwells in you and the son of God died for you. If you love him, it's because he first loved you. It's evidence that you have assurance If you love him, he first loved you. And then finally at the end, we need to make sure you recognize, John's told us over and over again, that if you are a believer, there will be evidence. A lot of things, it's a glorious truth to know that we have the assurance of our salvation, and I wouldn't give anything for it. But there will be evidence in your life. Last two verses. If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he's a liar. For he That loveth not his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? The question begs the answer, he can't. And the commandment we have from him that he who loveth God love his brother also. This is the section that John has talked over and over again about loving the brethren. You love the evidence that the spirit lives in you. The evidence that God has placed his saving love on you because you have received his son and trusted in his son is that you have a new heart, a new heart that loves God, a new heart that seeks after him and a new heart that loves the bride of Christ. Loves the brethren. Loves. The evidence that you've been born again Two things that he's told us. He's given you his spirit. He's given you of his spirit. And you have the testimony of Christ. If you love him, he he loved you first. And if you love him and he loved you first. Then you love the bride. You love the body of Christ. So the same thing we've seen over and over again. I'm going to end it the same way examine yourself whether you be the faith or not. I'm looking around and most of y'all have been here for for the whole going through this book. It's healthy for me to examine myself whether I be the faith or not. It's a healthy thing. Not just because, hey, I do bad stuff and I need to examine. It's a healthy thing to examine because I need to live in the gospel. I need to live in my trust of Christ and I don't need to trust in anything other than Christ, and sometimes things will creep in that'll try to get me to trust in that. Well, I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good today. I hadn't messed up too bad. so it's not about that. It's about my trust in Christ. Examine yourself whether you be the faith or not. Let's pray, Father, we love you. We come before you today. thank you for your word.